Lots of happening as far as uh, the nation's capital is concerned. I always turn to my good friend, Mr. Henry Shankoff. Shankoff Communications, no better. When it comes to some of the campaigns he's worked on regarding the old Mike Bloomberg campaign, the Clintons as well. The aforementioned uh, Hank Shankoff, nice enough to give us a couple of minutes here on an early Tuesday. Sir, how are you? And a happy, belated happy new year to you. How are you? Life is just a bowl of cherries, my brother. How you doing? I'm hanging in there, my friend. Hanging in. I tell you, there's so much going on here. Uh, the documents and everything else being found three different places, Hank. I'll tell you, uh, it gets more bizarre every day, these news cycles. Uh, no rhyme or reason. You know, the correlation of Mar-a-Lago and the raid from August, and uh, here we go again. And, you know, you wonder what in the heck is going on here. Lots of questions, both sides of the fence here. How do you assess everything going on here? It is complete chaos. We've never seen, well, in our lifetimes anyway, we've not seen much like this. Do I think that the real question is, what does it mean for Joe Biden and a potential run uh, for re-election? I think this is very damaging. But the most significant thing really is the laugh track. But you probably hear uh, Mar-a-Lago all day long, you know, to the walls, people just laughing their heads off because they think Trump got captured. And in fact, uh, Joe Biden is getting captured on a regular basis. It, it kind of puts Merrick Garland in, in, in a kind of a crazy position here. I mean, here he is, full-blown course, going after a former president. Now his, uh, his DOJ and everything else in the current administration – uh, you can only imagine uh, a fly in the wall in the office of Merrick Garland these days. Well, the question is, what do you do if you're the if you're the attorney general? I mean, what do you do? How do you handle this? I mean, what do you what's your what's your real position? How do you come up with a prosecute, uh, prosecute, prosecution strategy, ultimately, or a um, or an investigation strategy that involves one former president of the United States and one active president of the United States? I mean, it's kind of and, and how far does the special counsel go? And is the special counsel constrained in any way? We don't know because we've never had a situation like this before. It is really, um, we're going to be judged um, by how the Justice Department functions, whether we can really uh, provide um, an, an impartial investigation and provide justice, liberty and justice for all, as they like to say. Hank, is it common? You know, House Republicans are demanding the White House over the, uh, these visitors' logs. You know, to Joe Biden's private residence out there in Delaware, that's where the batch of these docs were found. And the White House counsel's office uh, says, you know what? There are no visitors' logs that track guests who come and go at this home in Wilmington. Is that common practice? It's idiotic to suggest the president, the president of the United States, before he was president, this all occurred, remember, before he became president, a long time before that suddenly he should keep a log or there should be a log of people come to his private home when he's the vice president or not a, not a, not an executive at that level at all. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous. And it undermines the Republican credibility on this thing. They're just looking, it makes them look silly, small, and trying to simply to get even. I always said that, you know, I don't care what Biden says now, I've always said he will not run in 2024. I n- never to realize that this was going to be a key element in all as far as component for him not to. But something of this nature, does this elevate the ranks of a, Gazim, a Gavin Newsom at this point? Well, it's certainly, you know, if you're, if you're Gavin Newsom or you're Pritzker, the governor of, uh, of Illinois, 
or your Murphy, the governor of Jersey, or your Klobuchar, the senator from, from Minnesota, all of whom want to be in that, who want to be president of the United States, um, this certainly gives you hope. Now, you don't talk about it because it makes you look bad, but it's certainly for your, any one of them, you're, you know, you're having a good day about in your, in your fantasy planning for the future. The most viable of choices, if you are a Democrat at this point in time, who would be the most uh, viable as far as one who stands out at this point in time? None of them. I mean, Newsom, Newsom has uh, tried to make himself much more significant. But again, it's a, it's, um, we're a long time away from it. It's a mess. You know, it used to be that, uh, that these campaigns were just, that the decision about who the nominees were was were decided in the back room, and the presidential campaign went on for six weeks. Now we don't decide anything, and the presidential campaign goes on for three years, and uh, people don't get any work done except do politics all day long. So if you're any of them, does it, do you feel good about yourself? Well, if you look in the mirror, you say, I'm the one, but it's a long way between here and there. Long, long way between here and there. Oh, I hear you. Uh, no question. Um, talking with Hank Shankoff. So let's get to the visit that the president made to El Paso uh, last week. Give him credit. At least he got there for a couple of hours. Uh, in essence, they cleaned up the streets and everything else. Um, so the question is, what can be done at this point in time? Uh, we've got the fentanyl coming in. The borders are as porous as ever. 250,000, Hank, uh, somewhat encounters for the month of December. Uh, they are right now spilling over into the major cities. You know, Eric Adams has made a trip down there. Uh, it is dire at this point in time. Is this the number one issue right now as far as this White House is concerned? It is a very significant issue, but we need to put this in some context. Um, what does that mean? Look, what happens to elected officials is that they cannot, they cannot survive if there is extraordinary amounts of chaos and disorder. And that seems to be uh, what is going on right now. And although the economy may be improving and inflation may be declining to a certain extent, it won't be sufficient for Joe Biden to survive necessarily because you now have this chaos and, and, um, and chaos and, and just absolute disorder going on caused by the uh, immigrants who are coming across the border in El Paso and along the southern border. And uh, it's, it's not resolvable. There's, it's hard to imagine how he gets past this and how people forget, how Americans forget that this is going on. It's very hard, it's very hard to see that. The Eric Adams trip to El Paso, is that a prelude of some sort of notion uh, in which uh, we know he has an aspiration to get to the, uh, to the White House? Uh, whether it be 2024, we don't know. But is is that kind of a preemptive strike as saying, you know what, uh, i got to get in the national spotlight here? Or is it disingenuous of me to say that? And really, for the sake of New York and the budget and everything else, that's why he made the trip. No, I think that I think he made the trip because that's what he does. What do I mean by that? He doesn't sit still. He's got to find a way to keep moving. And keep moving in this sense means get in, go visit the problem, um, appear to be in motion, whether you can resolve it or not, and come back with sufficient rhetoric to at least 
say something that has some value about something that is absolutely unresolvable. Um, and it, and it, you know, he's, there's nothing he can do about it. He's got to provide shelter according to the law uh, for people who need it. Um, he can't afford the cost of it. New York City has got serious, serious financial trouble, which it, you know, which is a residue of the de Blasio years. And, um, you know, he's got to go there. He goes there because it shows action. And the apparent uh, the thing that people are supposed to feel after is that, look what he did. But he's got no choice. Billion dollars as far as the cost, Hank, 40000 uh, of these individuals making their way into the city. Uh, 3,100 just about a week and a half ago, 800 in a given day. I mean, the numbers are just absolutely astounding here. And I guess next on the list would be to go to the White House, and that should be interesting as far as Adams to Joe Biden. You think anything comes out of that meeting? It's hard to see. I mean, Eric Adams, let's go back, by definition, is a national figure and someone to watch, and he certainly does have national aspirations. And he certainly is vocal, and he certainly is on every outlet possible, very public. The bad news about being public is that people know a lot about you and that they judge you more quickly because they know you're there. So, uh, you know, does he get to the White House and try to come up with a solution? Uh, The president will likely see him. Why? Because he is a black man who runs the largest city in the country, who is a former police officer, and who has national profile. He just can't not see him. Hank Shunkoff with us uh, here on a Tuesday morning. Let's get to the George Santos stuff. You've been around a long time, my friend. I'm not saying you're old, but you've seen a lot. Have you ever seen anything that of George Santos getting into Congress? Well, this is quite extraordinary. Um, (laughs) Everybody looks for fault in a situation like this, and they say, well, they should have been vetted, they should have known, they should have this, they should have that. You know, you really don't, you don't have the authority to say who can run for office and who can't, except in the case of a judgeship where you have to have a particular kind of a credential and experience to run for office, and there is a vetting process. Either you're a lawyer who's practiced for a particular period of time as required by the by the law or, the, or, the, or whatever the, 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 the sanctioning or governing agency is, or you're not. So what's the sanction or governing agency that says uh, you're a registered Republican or a registered Democrat in good standing uh, appropriately registered for a sufficient amount of time, and you uh, you can't run for something. It's, you can't you can't say that. What's the you know if you have people running around vetting people who run for office, you're going to have uh, not a good thing. Why? Because it'll politics will seep in. There'll be a determination that because you don't like somebody that they can't run. So really, the voters made a decision. If the fault lies any place in this case, it lies with the with the opponent, Bob Zimmerman's campaign, Robert Zimmerman's campaign. It didn't do a, an appropriate job of opposition research, which is pro-form in congressional races today. Um, you know, that's, that's where this lies. And um, there is no other responsible party in this case. Why with Kevin McCarthy when you think about it, Henry, because, you know, listen, McCarthy doesn't want to, get, want to make any moves here. I mean, he even stated yesterday, first time he kind of elaborated somewhat, he had no idea that Santos had embellished his resume when he ran for office. But McCarthy knows the deal. He's got a slim majority. He doesn't want to go to that two-thirds deal in a special election for a Democrat to fill that seat. So deep down, McCarthy says, you know what? Let's play it out. He's got to regain the trust. We'll see what happens here. 
Uh, McCarthy can't play this any other way, right? McCarthy has no choice. The speaker is stuck. He needs the vote. And it is very ironic when you consider that New York State, um, that the Republicans in New York State, particularly under the leadership of uh, a very effective chairman, Joseph Cairo, the uh, chairman of the Republican Party in Nassau County, did a terrific job. Um, and they were able to elect people that in places that normally might have been Democrat, Democrat-controlled. They did their work well. And um, they elected people, including Santos. So this occurring, and the irony here is that New York State, the great blue wall of New York State, helped put the Republicans in power in the United States Congress. And George Santos is now part of that that uh, that grouping. And McCarthy will do nothing to dislodge him because the, the distance between him and the Democrats is rather slim. I mean, I guess the question is, how useful will Santos be Fighting for that third congressional. I mean, you've got Desposito in the fourth. Lolota, of course, Nick's come out strong in the first, saying, you know what? Uh, let's freeze his uh, situation of his assets regarding the campaign. Uh, you already have the constituency complaining, actually going into that fourth district for health, where Anthony Desposito leads the charge there. I guess the overall question is, does Santos stick around for his full term? That's his decision, and unless and even if he's indicted on a crime, and he, if there is, and rest assured that there's an investigation. My theory, uh, my theory is it always gets down to the dose. You follow the money, um, and if he does get indicted, um, you know it'll probably because some idiot working for him decided to use a mailbox, and we'll be in you know there'll be mail fraud and then the wire fraud, something rather stupid that sends people to jail, and you really don't want the postal inspectors investigating because they've got like a ninety investigating you because they got like a 99% conviction rate. So here you go. They're going to, something's going to happen, but that doesn't guarantee that he leaves. It's his decision. Why? Because unless he's convicted, he doesn't have to go anyplace. Where's he going? He can stay there until the, until uh, the election and run for re-election. And if he gets taken out by the voters, well, that's fine. Or he can, you know, who knows? Anything bizarre can happen here, but he's not going anyplace because he chooses not to. Not for any other reason. You're probably right. I think deep down he's going to wait until the waters uh, come somewhat go calm. Uh, and then, you know, maybe business as usual. We'll see what happens. Hank Shankoff with us. Let's move to the state stuff. Uh, the governor with the state of the state, you know, even prior to that, giving the state ledge, uh, Henry, uh, a nice little raise there. They become the highest paid legislature uh as far as the country is concerned really surpassing california now uh by a wide margin uh prolific was that move uh for kathy hochel as far as the lack of negotiation and i say that regarding maybe putting bail reform on the table give me this we'll talk raise give me a little bit of that we'll see uh, state of the state goes on. You know, there was some controversies as far as what she would do, what wouldn't do, especially when it comes to the bail stuff. Uh, even the situation on the minimum wage to rise with inflation uh, annually as far as how that goes. Uh, how critical uh, was it for this governor to get off on the right foot? It's kind of critical. I mean, the uh, measure now will be the uh, nomination and potential uh, rejection of uh, ju- of Judge LaSalle as the um, 
chief judge of the Court of Appeals of the State of New York. Now, if he, if LaSalle is rejected by the state Senate, um, I don't think the politicians understand what that means. That means that people won't think, well, LaSalle is gone and things are worse, but there'll be a sense of that thing again out of control. And I'm the idiot, uh, you check the clips, I'm the idiot who, predict, who predicted that that fellow Kaminsky would not be elected uh, district attorney in Nassau County and that crime would be the issue for the next several years. And in fact, I was correct, not because I'm so smart. It just made sense. And crime is still the issue. And anyone who doesn't believe that should look at the voting patterns in Nassau and Suffolk counties, for example, where the, where the Republicans beat the devil out of Democrats in places that were not, uh, no one thought could happen. I mean, crime is the issue and disorder is the issue. And all this that speaks up is greater disorder. Um, and that's not good news for the incumbent party. Now, the governor will be fine. It's everybody else below them who could pay the problem, who could pay the price to some extent. But it didn't hurt. You would agree that the House Minority Leader, Akeem Jeffries, certainly one of the more, uh, the nation's most prominent black leaders, was among some of the top Democrats in New York to come out a couple of weeks ago and support LaSalle, you know, kind of rankling the progressives opposed uh, to a law and order former prosecutor is he, no? Absolutely correct. Um, you know, the other thing that happens here is that uh, is that there is an, Sal being a Latino, and there's an anti-Latino bias, that's, as they define it. And, uh, you know, you don't, you have a Latino elected lieutenant governor, but you don't have, there's nothing like a Latino elected uh, mayor of the city of New York. And there's a real competition between groups, you know, group competition. Uh, is a real is a part of politics, whether we want to admit it or not, and it's about who gets what and who gets what resources. So this kind of battle is not surprising under any circumstances. Um, the fact that he is uh, m- much more in the center, LaSalle is, makes it more difficult for the progressives. And the battle is, again, between the progressives and the regular Democrats. What does that mean? When you have one-party control, you tend to have factionalism. And there's no surprise here that there's factionalism. It's the governor versus the legislature, and within the legislature, it's the progressives versus the more central centrist Democrats. I mean, it really kind of accentuates where we are politically, right? I mean, this is an individual, he's come under heavy fire from progressive critics uh, who say, you know, they fear he'd push the state court of appeals a little too far right if he gets to helm the top bench. And very interesting how this thing plays out regarding the governor here. I mean, it would make uh, her the first ever one to have a judicial pick, Hank. I do believe I'm right here for the state's highest court rejected. Correct? Correct. Since we've had since we've had uh, uh, appointed chief judges, I and mean, that's a new phenomenon he considers in the last 40 years, Jacob Pukesburg was elected. He was the last elected uh, judge of the, chief judge of the state. You know, and I'm, I'm someone who believes in elections, not appointment generally. I think that appointments tend to um, tend to be th- that which is wanted by those in power. And here's a clear case where the battle over who will control our criminal justice system or who will have um, the ability to be down the line or down the middle without political influence is at risk. That's very, very significant. No question. A couple of minutes with Hank. Uh, John Roberts, putting on hold Title 42, Henry, uh, at least till March as far as getting another look here. Uh, Fast forward for me as far as everything that's going on now at the border. I mean, how critical does that look 
as far as decision time for the Supreme Court in Title 42? I don't, it's hard to imagine that people are sitting around all day long in their, in their living rooms with the, with, the two, with the television on or whatever it is they do, eating dinner and saying, by the way, I'm worried about Title 42. That's not what's going on. They're, the public overall is probably just, you know, is stunned by the chaos on the border and the cost of uh, maintaining uh, people who are coming here because they, you know, really they, they, they're coming from extraordinarily awful conditions. Note Venezuela, where I think a third of the population has already left. Um, or some ridiculous number that, that is ridiculous in the sense that it's beyond imagination. Um, but I don't think people are sitting around saying, oh, I must wait for Title 42. They just, Americans just want some relief. And when they get the bill for this, they're really going to lose their minds. Now, Americans are decent people, but immigration has always been our, uh, our at least since the, since the early part of the 20th century, and maybe in the latter part of the 19th century, if you look at the election of know-nothing candidates for me, American party known as colloquially as the Know Nothing Party, were anti-immigrant, and so that anti-immigrant um, sense of things goes back a long, long time, um, and um, and is always underneath the, the surface in the country. So they're not thinking Title Forty Two; they're thinking about where are these people coming from and how are we going to pay for this? And they're not they're not helping the country. It's that real sense of of disorder and chaos is going to come back to bite elected officials. Also, they get a sense of fear with the amount of drugs coming in, that in the form of fentanyl. They they read or, or they they hear about a cartel hit uh, on uh, on American soil, as what happened in California yesterday uh, with a young family being wiped out. I think they fear that type of situation and get a sense that it is extreme. It's not only about giving somebody a chance, but it's about having a secured border. I mean, that's what it is. I mean, you go back to the old uh, Reagan-esque type days. What is a country without its borders? Uh, There is no country. So, in essence, I think people kind of fear in that respect the safety of it all, you know? I think that's entirely correct. And people are afraid as well they should be. The drugs coming in and the stories being printed and written by, by competent reporters about that movement of that dangerous drug might create, you know, frankly, an epidemic that we don't want to deal with. So what does that mean? We have our police under attack. Um, we have um, we have our federal agencies now under attack, federal enforcement now under attack by the people who are running the, the House of Representatives. And it, it's not good news. I mean, we, we are now going to have to rely more than ever on our police to do the job that they're, that they're intended to do. And now at great risk, we've had more police officers killed, I think, last year than we have maybe in history. Certainly, it's an extraordinary number by any measure. One police officer murdered is sufficient, but this, these numbers are out of hand. The assaults on police across the are astronomically increasing. And, uh, you know, that's all part of the chaos that likely will get people to vote more Republican than not. On that note, and one final question for you, does Ron DeSantis seem to be ready for 2024? Does he wait another four years? He is certainly the candidate to watch today. But again, presidential elections and all elections, you know, everybody's, you know, I keep looking at the people that I was, President Giuliani was great, and President Jeb Bush was really terrific, I enjoyed all of them, you know, it didn't happen. Um, People presume certain things are going to occur, and they make them a fait accompli in politics, and that's not the case at all. DeSantis is better positioned, he can raise extraordinary amounts of money, and if he chooses to run, he'll have $300 million in the bank before you can say hello. 
Um, he's in the right position geographically. He's in the South. He's turned Florida from a swing state into a red state. He's done it very well. And if he can put the numbers together quickly by ousting Trump as the favorite in Texas and put those numbers together with Florida, he's somebody to watch very early and very and someone to note um, as a serious and significant political operator. Especially after a 20-point win over Charlie Crist this past uh, November. We shall see. Fascinating dynamic right there. The great Sheinkopf. Sheinkopf Communications, full-service strategic communications company headed by Mr. Henry Sheinkopf. Wonderful job, Hank. Uh, We'll do it again soon. How's that? Have a wonderful day, you and all your listeners, and thanks for thinking of me. Appreciate it all. The great Henry Sheinkopf.